I want to encourage you to take a Bible this morning and find 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles 34, we'll be reading several verses, passages from there this morning. The title of this message is A Heart That Is Tender Before the Lord. A Heart That Is Tender Before the Lord. And in many ways, we are continuing what we began talking about last Sunday morning where I felt the Lord saying to us that he wanted us to become, to consider carefully what it means to become a people of the burning heart. We looked at the disciples on the road to Emmaus and we saw how they were going the wrong direction and yet Jesus still pursued them and when he was walking with them and talking with them, there came that moment where he suddenly was recognizable and then vanished. And when, when he was out of their sight again, they commented, they rejoiced, and it was, it was transforming to them to realize that he was always with them all along, but that as he talked to them and as he opened the scripture to them, they said, did our hearts not burn within us? We began to see what happens when Jesus comes close to us. That his presence affects us. It affects us on every level of who we are. Our mind and our heart, even our body. And the question that that I kind of walked away from and that stayed in my mind this week as we came out of that service was the question, why do some hearts burn and others do not? Why is it that some people, when Jesus draws close, when clearly he is moving in human hearts, some hearts burn and others do not? And so, this morning, before really we go any further, and I'm so thankful for Dave and for him praying for us, but I'm going to ask you to, to empty your hands and to bow your head and to close your eyes, if you would, just right there where you're sitting. Just empty your hands and bow your head and close your eyes. With your hands empty, would you just put them, maybe rest them on your legs or, or put them out in front of you, and then just turn them palms up. Would you do that? With eyes closed. And with your hands open to the Lord, would you in your heart say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, I need you. Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want our hearts to burn. We thank you that you are a God of mercy and that you forgive and you have the, not only the ability but the passion to wash us clean when we turn to you and to make us new from the inside out. And so we hold our hands out before you, Lord, because we are a needy people. 
Speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think for a moment what you would do with God's power if you had it. What you would do with God's power if you had it. What would you fix? What would you change? How would you, how would you approach the world? And so think about that a moment. If you had God's power, and you know he possesses all power, he is the infinitely powerful one. He is all powerful. If you possess that power, what would you do with it? And if you would do anything other than what God is doing with it right now, you do not understand what God is doing in our world and what he wants from us. You see, all the power in the universe and all the power in creation and all the power that exists cannot give God what he wants most from you and me, which is a passionate love for him. The great commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. That's it. That's the summary. And then to love others. Love God, love others. And everything that God is doing is to bring you and I to a place to where we will, with nothing held back, we will open our hearts to him and give him passionate love. When we come to this moment in the scripture, we're reading this morning about a man named Josiah. I want you to know that the world that he's living in, that he grows up in, in some ways, there are a lot of parallels. I'm not going to attempt to draw them this morning, but there are a lot of parallels between his world and our world. But I want you to see that the condition of the nation of Judah at this moment in his life is nowhere close to what God is wanting from you and me and what he wanted from them. The kingdom of David was divided right after Solomon's death into a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. The northern kingdom was spectacularly unfaithful to God. If there was a way to offend God, they did it. And if they found a new way, they did it. And so the northern kingdom, because of their unfaithfulness, 80 years before Josiah had been carried off into captivity. And so the northern kingdom was in ruins, but there were still people there. And they were the people of God. To the north, in that ruined kingdom, in every town and city, there were high places and temples and priests serving those demon gods every day. To the south, priests practiced dark rituals on high places all over Judah, in Jerusalem, around the city. The temple that was supposed to be a holy place that contained the holiest of holies, the very presence of God. The temple had become a place that was devoted to Baal and to the Assyrian gods. 
There was in the temple a wooden statue of a fertility goddess named Asherah. And in front of that statue, men and women prostituted themselves in every imaginable kind of perversion, and they did it in the name of religion. This was going on when Josiah was a young boy. There was demonic worship. The kings themselves had built altars on their own rooftops. They had built altars in the courtyards to foreign gods, to to demon gods. In the Valley of Hinnom, just outside of Jerusalem, there was a place called Tophet, where a mom and and a dad could take their child. And because they wanted something from their god, who was Molech, a demon god, they would throw their child into the flames. This is the world that Josiah was living in and growing up in. The Mount of Olives wasn't even known as the Mount of Olives in Josiah's day. It was known as the Mount of Corruption because there were temples that had been built on the mountain by Solomon so that his wives could worship their foreign demon gods. As you look at the Old Testament and you read the Old Testament, even coming into the New Testament, even going to the book of Revelation and listening to what Jesus is saying to the churches over and over again, the greatest problem that God has in the world is not with the nations. Just like that, the nations can come down. It's not with the White House, just like that. It can be what he wants it to be. The problem God has always had throughout the Scripture is with his own people. His own people, the faithlessness of his own people. So Josiah becomes a king when he's just eight years old. He's serving as a king under the guidance of regents, and so he's not in full control. The eight-year-old can't do just whatever he wants. When he's 16... Something happened to this boy where he began to hunger for God and began to to look for God. By the time he was 20, there had been such a, a revolution in this boy's heart that he began, when he was free to make his own decisions as king, he began a program of aggressive reform that involved going to the northern kingdom, going to all of those places where there were those altars and those priests that were offering sacrifices to demon gods, and he tore down the idols, and he ground them to dust, and he executed the priests, and he burned them on their own altars. And he came to Judah, and he did the same thing. And he did this for six years. That tells you how bad it was. It took six years to get to a place where not easily he could find another priest, another altar, another demonic structure that he could tear down. It took him six years to get to a place like that. And then he sets his heart to rebuild and reestablish the temple of God in Jerusalem. 
and there's money available, and he gives them to workers, and they're beginning to repair. They've taken out the idols, the idol of Asherah. They've ground it to dust. They've, they've cleared out all of those people that didn't even know God. They, they cleared all of that out. They began, they began reconstructing it as best they knew how, the temple, the way it was supposed to be, the way it was supposed to look. And in the process of that, an amazing discovery was made. There was a priest named Hilkiah that in the process of cleaning out the debris and the garbage in the temple, he discovered a copy of the Word of God. Now, we don't know if it was just part of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, or if it was just one of those books, but they found a portion of the Word of God, and we come to verse 18 of chapter 34 of Second Chronicles. And we read, Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. Now before we look at Josiah, we need to pause in this moment. Because what is happening to Josiah in that moment centuries ago is exactly what is happening for you and for me in this moment. It is the very same moment Shaphan is reading this word of God to Josiah. Every Sunday when we gather, every time that you go into a Bible study and you sit down, Every time that God's word is being shared, you and I are being exposed to the heart of God. And at that moment that God speaks to me through his word, I will turn away and I will resist and I will say no and I will turn it down or turn it off or I will welcome the king and what he is saying to my heart. Every time. One or the other. Yes, king, come speak to me. I am listening. I am your child. I am your servant. Yes, oh God, speak. Or I'm saying, I don't want to hear this. Or I'm not even hearing the voice of God as the scripture is being read. It's an amazing moment. It really is an amazing moment. But it also should scare us to death. In Psalm 95, the writer, in the first five verses, it's not a long psalm. I I encourage you to take it maybe this afternoon or in your time alone with the Lord this week and just read Psalm 95. And as you read through that psalm, in the first five verses, what is remarkable about it is this call to worship and a praise that's given to God. And he does it. I mean, he praises the Lord. And you're thinking, well, I'm reading Psalm 95, and I'm um, just reading along here, and this is just going to be a praise psalm like all the other praise psalms. Until you come to verse 6 and 7, something happens. In verse 6, he says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. What is he describing? Uh, a few months ago, the choir and I went 
to one of the prison facilities in, in Forest City, and they ministered in song, and I got to minister his word. And we talked about worship, and one of the things that sometimes we forget about worship is that all of the language used for worship in the Old Testament has the same picture involved. Let me show you. He says, come and let us worship. And what is he saying? Well, that word, all these words say pretty much the same thing, but there are shades of meaning. That word, when he says, come, let us worship, is describing someone who is lying prostrate before someone else. Absolutely humbled before God. Oh, come, let us worship, he says. And then he says, oh, come and let us worship and bow down. And the the idea in that word involves the bending of the knees, but it's more than just the bending of the knees. And so a picture of that word would be touching your forehead to the ground. You're bending your knees. You're bending at the waist. Oh, come and let us worship and bow down. And then it says, and let us kneel. Let us kneel. And in all of these words, do you see the same idea? In all of these words for worship, there's the same idea. It's not singing a song. It's not attending a service. It is an attitude of the heart that says, God, oh God, you are the king, and I am your servant. And in that moment, the psalmist begins to describe the very moment that Josiah is experiencing and the very moment that you and I are experiencing, that when you and I truly come to him like that and we are bowing our heart before him. He says in verse 7, the very next phrase, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work. They came right up to the edge. They had come out of Egypt. They had crossed through the Red Sea. They had heard his voice on Mount Sinai. The ground and the earth had trembled. They had received the law. They came right up to the edge of the promised land that God wanted to give them. And when the spies gave their report, you remember the majority report is, those people are big. The minority report said, God is bigger. But they didn't listen to the minority, did they? And they've stepped back. They stepped back. In verse 10, he says, For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And they didn't. They lost what God had for them on this side of heaven. They never got it. They never experienced it. It was lost. Why? Because when he spoke, they rebelled. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to listen to that. They hardened their hearts. And the psalmist is saying to me that if you worship him, if you're serious, you come and you bow before the king, you are likely to hear his voice. 
And in that moment, you have this amazing opportunity to say yes to God. You also have this terrifying possibility of saying, I'm not going there, God. And every time you and I do that, every time we say, I'm not going to listen today, Lord. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do my own thing. I know what you're telling me. I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. Every time you do that, your heart grows a little bit colder and a little bit harder. Is your heart growing harder as God speaks to you, or is it growing softer and more tender? We need to go back to Josiah's moment. God's word has been rediscovered. It is being read aloud. Josiah is listening. And it says in verse 19, we don't know exactly what was read, but we know that in verse 19 it says that he heard something that so disturbed him that it says he rent his clothes. He, he tore his clothes, which was a way of expressing great distress. He heard something that disturbed him. He gathered some men. In verse 21, we read, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. And God has spoken to his church He's spoken to us so many clear, simple directions about how to walk with him, about how to serve him, about how to follow him. So many clear, simple things. Josiah said, our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. Have we kept the word of the Lord? Have we done what he has said for us to do? We are to be a spirit-led and a spirit-empowered people. But as you and I come in contact with his word, how do we respond? How do we respond? Well, the men, obedient to their king, they went looking for someone who could inquire of the Lord for them. They found one person in all of Jerusalem that could speak for the Lord. It was a woman. She was a prophetess. Her name was Huldah. And God spoke through Huldah, gave Josiah, the answer that he sought. In verse 24, she speaks, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place. That's what she says. What you have read, we don't know exactly what he read, but what you have read about judgment coming as as God's people are unfaithful, it's going to happen. And she describes in verses 24 and 25, calamity is coming. You cannot change it. It is, they have already crossed the line as a nation at that moment. There is no rescuing the nation, according to what God was saying at that moment to Josiah. And in fact, if you keep reading through the Old Testament, he's, he's the last righteous king. There's two or three more, and then they're finished as a nation. They're done. She keeps speaking, though, in verse 26. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. 
And you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. And he goes on in verse 28 and says he's, that during his lifetime, the calamity is not going to come. He's going to be spared, seeing the judgment of God coming on the nation that he loves. See, a heart that is hard never changes. People with hard hearts are always the same miserable self. Always. Always doing the same thing. Always reacting to the same situations in the same manner. Always critical. Always complaining. Always attacking. Always angry. Whatever their problem is, they're always doing the same thing. You can throw the Word of God before them. You can talk to them. You can share it with them. They do not change. Why? Because their hearts are hard. But Josiah was so very different. Because your heart was tender, because your heart was tender, my word was spoken, and your heart, Josiah, was different. It's not like the other hearts. Why was Josiah's heart tender before the Lord? He grew up in a household. And a nation that had rejected the one true God and the worship of that one true God for 60 years. His father, Amon, had been so disgusting and so bad, even among a wicked people, that the servants rose up and killed him when he was six years old. His grandfather, Manasseh, had one shining moment in 55 years where he discovered that God was real. But it was too late to save the nation. For 55 years, he shed blood and led the people into the worship of demon gods. Josiah should not have had a tender heart. He shouldn't. But why did he? When he was 20 years old, he had never heard the word of God. Can you imagine that? He's, he's seeking God, but he's never heard of the word of God. Never. And he begins this program of reform and he dismantles an entire religious system designed to offend God in every respect, everything his father had done, everything his grandfather had done, everything that had been done all the way back to Solomon. This young man undid it all, broke them down, ground them to dust, burned them on their own altars. He did that for six years. For those of you who are Bible scholars, you can just jot down 1 Kings 13 because this whole thing that Josiah did had been prophesied 300 years earlier that Josiah by name would come and do this. But why did he do it? And then as they were restoring the temple, they, they had this discovery of the Word of God. And then that moment came. And I've said it, we don't know exactly what Josiah was was hearing or what was being read. I don't know if it, they were reading the entire Pentateuch, the entire Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Because of what Huldah says, and, and we don't have time to go in depth on this, but she talks about the curses that are coming on the nation. And there's a place in Deuteronomy 28 where he describes blessings on those who keep the covenant and curses on those who do not. The same things described in Leviticus 26. I don't know. If Shaphan was just reading along and he starts reading that section and as, as this dear young man is listening to the truth of God's word, he looks at his world and he says, now I get it. I understand what God is doing. He is judging his own people.
And when the scripture was read, Josiah's heart welcomed it. (laughs) He loved it. He was terrified by it, but he received it. He yielded to the truth of it. He tore his clothes. He realized how much trouble they were in. He humbled himself before the Lord. He wept. And because God said, I also have heard you, in verse 27, I know that he had been crying out to the Lord. He had been praying, God's assuring him, I've heard your cry. Why did he do that? Why do some people's hearts burn and others don't? Why was his heart tender? Last week we discovered that when God draws near, he is like a consuming fire. And for those who love him, for those who who are his followers, his presence will light us up. And when we sense him, it affects us. And that's why those, those men said, did our hearts not burn? And when they burned and they realized who Jesus was, they turned around and went back to Jerusalem. And so as a flame, as that flame of the presence of God comes near something like wax, what happens to the wax? What happens to it? It, it melts, doesn't it? It doesn't get harder. It gets softer. Now, I also brought with me, and I'm glad to see her sitting here in service, I brought a, a work creation of Lusak. She makes beautiful things out of pottery. Now, when you bring the heat of that flame near clay, does it get softer or does it get harder? It gets harder. And so there's something different about the constitution of the wax or the constitution of the clay that causes it to respond differently when that voice, the heat, the presence of God draws near. Something causes it to be very, very different on the inside. There was something that made Josiah tremendously different from everybody else in his generation. Here's the answer. Verse 3 of 34, chapter 34. Just one One phrase, for in the eighth year of his reign, he's 16 years old, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. What was it that made Josiah's heart different? He made a decision when he was 16 years old that I want to know God. I want him. I want to know him. I want to experience him. 16 years old. He was seeking God. He was hungry. And he was thirsty for God. He knew God was real. And he longed to know him. And this is what God wants from you and me. This is the secret of the tender heart. Why is the heart tender? Because it's a heart that's seeking him. In Psalm 42 The psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. Does your soul thirst for God, for the living God? My soul thirsts for God, he says. 
You can read theology, you can learn Greek and Hebrew, you can, you can have 25 PhDs and never hear the voice of God. You can sit through thousands of sermons, thousands of Bible studies, and never hear the voice of God. Why? Because your heart is hard. Something is missing in your heart. Your heart's not tender, but Josiah's was. Jeremiah, the prophet, knew Josiah. Josiah and he were contemporaries. They lived at the same time. Jeremiah was a young man when Josiah died when he was 39. And Jeremiah, it says in the scripture, wept when Josiah passed. And he wrote laments, not lamentations, but he wrote a book that we don't have called Laments when Josiah died because Jeremiah knew what was coming next. He knew what was coming next. And he wrote these words. We read them earlier this morning. Jeremiah 29, 13. And you will seek me. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. The same truth appears in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He'll do it. He'll do it. You make a decision like that 16-year-old boy did in a nation where he's never heard the word of God. I want to know the real God. I want to know him. I want to seek him. God will answer that prayer. He is faithful. He is merciful. It's not too late. If you want to seek him, you can seek him. Never think, my heart's too hard. God will never have mercy on me. If you're even thinking that, God can have mercy on you. Josiah's heart was tender because he made a decision to seek the Lord. And whenever the word of God was preached or taught or read, his heart, his heart was tender, tender. Let me ask you, when the Word of God is preached or taught, when you're sitting reading it, does your heart burn? And if it's not burning, there is a place you can go. There is something that you can do. There is one change that you can make right now. You can't make it after you, you die. One second after you're dead, you can't do it. But you can do it this morning. That's to set your heart to say yes to the Lord. Right now. Right now. Lord, whatever you want from me, my answer to you is yes. Whatever you have said to me, whatever I need to do next, whatever You've convinced me I need to change or adjust or address in my life. Something you're calling me to do, a place you're calling me to serve, someone you're calling me to minister to, whatever it is, Lord, my answer to you is yes. And when you and I set our hearts to seek the Lord, it is an admission that I need him and I cannot do life without him. And he is irresistibly drawn to hungry, thirsty, needy, souls. Would you pray with me? Father, we have more times than probably any of us cares to admit, we have listened casually 
to your word. And because we were casual, we were careless, and we were not moved, and we were not changed. And yet when we read your word, it says of itself that it is like a living, powerful force that is a living word, and it brings life to things that are dying. It brings light to places that are dark. We pray, Father, that you would come fill this place. We pray you would fill it with our praises. We pray you would fill it with hearts that are seeking you, that are hungry. We pray you would meet those dear ones who are saying yes to you right now. Flood their heart with grace and mercy. And let them know your your holiness and that you are a God who is a consuming fire, but may it only soften their heart. For that dear one, Lord, that doesn't know Jesus and is hungry right now to come and to trust Jesus Christ for forgiveness and for a new life, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would draw that one. That as I am here and the other pastors are here, you would use us to draw these dear ones that need Jesus to yourself. Father, for us as your people, may you make us a people of a burning heart. We ask it in Jesus' name.